You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC to stay up to date with new episodes, upcoming episodes, polls, and maybe even a giveaway coming up in the future. You can also email for questions or comments or concerns, suggestions, or anything Batman at all at TheBatmanBC at gmail.com. The Batman Book Club is also a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. And finally, you can follow me, Ryan Lauer, on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower. Today, we are doing something a little different times two in that we are exploring our first novel and also bringing somebody back to the show. So, audience, if you would please applaud the return from everyone Robin, everyone loves the Drake podcast. Rob Myers. Hello, Rob. <laughs> I was just going to go crickets, crickets, crickets. <laughs> chirp, hey. chirp, 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 <laughs> chirp. Hey, thanks for having me back on, man. This is this is pretty cool. And I love this topic. Mm-hmm. You are the Robin guy. So mm-hmm. outside of just knowing that you love the subject at hand of this episode also the fact it's just appropriate it's the theatrical and it's not a debut theatrical i don't know what you want to say it's another first appearance of a robin on film so hey bring in robin call the robin guy here he (laughs) is boom now you were first on the fourth episode of this show talking about my favorite robin of the bunch damian wayne and his debut in the comics of batman and son Got some good responses back from people. I I really liked that episode. You made me think a little differently of the character. I still don't like him, but it was a good conversation with you. Good story. Fun story. Welcome back. It's good to be back here. (laughs) I want to ask you before we dive in, usually at the point we get to what's your favorite Batman story and way back in episode four, you responded with that. So I'd like to ask, are you reading any other Batman books right now? Now, recently, now that we're starting to get those you know comic things remember we used to have those oh yeah yeah it's a new thing they just came out with um (laughs) and you know the funny thing is before i answer that question it's so having three or four months now with no comics we're getting back into it i was used to not getting them and i kept forgetting to go pick them up and my pull list guy was like are you picking up books i was like books (laughs) oh crap it's it's comic book day (laughs) you know oh yeah we make those i've been loving both batman and detective and mm-hmm. I'm really excited what uh, Tynan is going to do or now hinting at doing with the Joker war looming, seeing all the different odds and ends that, you know, he's we got punchline thrown in there. And I just got the very hard to find cardstock cover for issue 92 that just came out with the has punchline on it with people are falling all over themselves trying to get this cover. I always get, I'm a sucker. I get all the covers for Batman, a detective and young justice because I'm, I'm a nerd like that. You can look on eBay right now for the punchline variant cover and it's up around 40 bucks and it just came Ooh. out yesterday. So, Ooh. yeah. Ooh, doggy. And good for you. 
You got a but, whole library of comics ready to dive into now. That's right. That's right. And with working during the pandemic and everything, I didn't have the availability like some people do. Like, hey, I'm behind on my comic reading. I'm just going to plow through all my comics and I'm going to binge watch a bunch of movies. I was still working during all of this. So my comic pile really didn't change that much until recently till I said, you know, darn it, I need to get current. So I got current on a lot of books. I'm current all the way through Batman now, all the way through Detective. And a little side note, I really do like Batman and the Outsiders. Mm. So that's a book that's, I think is kind of a sleeper. It may not be for everybody, but Batman and the Outsiders is always kind of a cool thing in the 80s. So I I dig that book as well. Nice. With the Batman title, I like it, but I'm kind of waiting for the big something to happen because I Mm kind of feel like we're it each issue has kind of been like, Oh, you just wait until you see what we have in store. And then we read it. And then it's like, you, but still wait until you see, okay, still wait. Okay. And I'm like, okay, let's see it. Then like, give us us a little something, but it's, it hasn't been to a point of like, I'm annoyed by it or anything. And I think to Peter J. Tomasi on the detective run has been a lot of fun and how Mm -hmm. he's just kind of incorporated some, some rogues stories and it felt very almost like classic Batman, Batman versus the bad guy kind of deal. Those have been a lot of fun too. So yeah, good choices. And I'm kind of eager to see, see what they're all working toward in this little Joker war thing. Like, yeah, "Hmm." yeah, me too, but we're not going to talk about comics today. We are going to talk as everybody can see in the title. We're going to talk about Batman forever, but I don't think they know exactly. Yeah. That sounded good. <laughs> we're not going to talk about just the movie. We're going to talk the novelization of the movie because I was thinking and I went to my counselor, Rob Myers, and said, I have a problem about Batman Forever. It's 25 years. Yeah, let's talk about it. We could do the comic, which I just recently I just recently read for the first time, like the comic adaptation. Oh, nice. Or I just got all the novelizations of all the old movies and I can read the Batman Forever novelization. That might be a little bit, be a better discussion because it's longer. It could have more elements of what was in the book, what was originally intended, what didn't show up on the screen. And you were like, well, stop talking to me and start reading. So I did. And now <laughs> we are ready to talk about Batman Forever, the novelization. So before we dive into the book, can you rewind to 1995 and your what's your Batman Forever story? My Batman Forever story, this still remains the only Batman movie that I've seen in the theater five times. And opening, mm. opening week of it, I saw it three times twice in the same day. So the the movies that I've got close to were The Dark Knight, Batman versus Superman. Those have all been four. I think The Dark Knight Rises was three. Batman 89 was four. So I was always like, oh, what movie is going to be the one that I'm going to see it five times? It's it's not the thing for... Some people see a lot of movies a lot of times, but I I was just engulfed by this movie. Like I was a freshman in high school in 1989. And that was what led me down the road to comics. I was already kind of loosely reading, but you couldn't help be a kid in the late eighties. And this movie come out and not affect you in some way. So, you know, I was excited for Batman returns and remember walking out of the theater and returns and go, okay, well that was different. Like that was the first movie of the set where I was like, okay, I just saw a Danny Elfman, not Danny Elfman, Tim Burton. I saw a Tim Burton movie and it happened to have Batman in it is how I viewed it then. So it, it after a while became something that 
I didn't like, but over the years has become a movie that I adore immensely. But I remember thinking, all right, you know, wasn't exactly what I was hoping for. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. I always felt like I was talking myself into liking that movie, but there were just aspects that were really dark and the infamous story of McDonald's like, we're selling Happy Meals and holy crap, we got the penguins spitting goo and doing all, all this crazy stuff. So that kind of backfired. So getting into for Batman Forever, hearing, all right, it's gonna be cool to see Michael Keaton coming in to the role like uh, one more time. And I was on the fringes of like reading some of the trades and like Starlog magazine and all that stuff. So I really wasn't aware till after the fact that Marlon Wayans was going to play a part in this, but I do remember Robin Williams. Like when I really first started reading about it, to my knowledge, it was Michael Keaton, Rene Russo, Chris O'Donnell. And I don't know if I think Tommy Lee Jones might've been attached to it. Oh, uh, Robin. Yeah. Robin Williams. So it was, that bunch for a while, then it seemed like overnight was probably maybe a month or so for all I know that the cast changed. Like all of a sudden we're getting Val Kilmer as Batman, you know, Chris O'Donnell was still there. So I was a little bummed that we were losing Keaton, but I was like, I, I like Val Kilmer. I, I can, I can see him as Batman. Uh, to me, this felt like Batman 89 part two. I don't know if it was as crazy, but you know, you're five, almost six years farther from, 89 and i felt like if batman was everywhere in 1989 i felt like it was almost doubled for batman forever now like everybody and their brother was a, a batman fan if they weren't already by the first movie then shame on you but it was like i've got pillows and lunch boxes and coloring <laughs> books and like the if you would look at my collection of Batman memorabilia, Batman Forever outweighs almost everything else that I have. I was now graduated from high school two years in 95. So this just really kind of hit me like I've got my own money. I can, I'm living on my own. I can spend the money where I want to. And I just dove headlong into this movie. And I was completely excited for opening night of this movie and it stood in line a gigantic line around the movie theater you know to see the midnight showing so i i was all in with this i was prime target for batman forever you just said your age so i will admit mine i was nine years old <laughs> nine-year-old ryan was so excited for because i don't remember the first time i ever saw batman 89 I just remember my entire life. I've loved it. And I, some of my earliest memories, I remember, I think when it was on TV, like, you know, it was broadcast, like that wasn't my first time seeing it. I was excited. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, it's Batman. Like I've seen this before Batman returns. I remember seeing it for the first time and I wasn't creeped out or grossed out or anything. I thought this is the most amazing thing of all time. And so the buildup for Batman Forever and how they went full marketing press on this beast. Oh, man. And I was, I mean, my parents had to hate me because every everything I saw is like, can we go to Walmart? I need to get Batman. Can we get blah, blah, blah? Any t-shirts or a hat or anything. And I, I do have some pictures. Oh, man, I don't know if I could even track them down. I don't know where they'd be. But of me wearing my Batman Forever shirt, my Batman Forever ball cap with the logo of the question mark and the bat symbol. And I was hyped for this movie. And then, oh, classic McDonald's had to do the, the awesome, oh. indestructible glass mugs, which 
I have them today in the cupboard, not 25 feet from me, and we use them daily still. That mm-hmm. is remarkable materials at McDonald's of all things. You know what I mean? Like they, they just don't make it like they used to. No. And I think I even posted on Twitter, I have the French fry boxes. Of oh my gosh. Bat- yes. <laughs> Batman, Robin, uh, Riddler, and Two-Face. Someone's like, why'd you keep French fry boxes? And you could actually see the stain or the oil that's still in the yellow stripes <laughs> of the French fry. Because they were- they Air were freshener, just- of course. <laughs> I remember my girlfriend- uh, you know, at the time was like, what are you doing with those? I'm like, I'm keeping up. And you won't realize it in 2020. I'm going to be so cool. I'm going to be on this thing called a <laughs> podcast talking about these French fry boxes. <laughs> yeah. I don't need your negativity. Get out of here. So by the time that the movie came around, of course, I loved it. Jim Carrey, this was prime Jim Carrey. I loved Jim Carrey and everything about him. So to find out that he was going to be the Riddler just got me so excited even more. And the movie itself, I wholeheartedly, I just loved that freaking movie to death. 25 years later, I will not say that I love that movie to death, but I still really appreciate that movie. I watched it last night. I showed it to Mamira, my fiance. She'd never seen it before. She liked parts and didn't like other parts and kind of felt like surprising me. She think it was thinks it was a little more creepy or violent than Batman Returns. Really? She didn't really understand. Yeah, she didn't really understand how there could be such backlash on Batman Returns and yet kind of not forever in a sense of Returns was just dark. There's a lot of blacks and yeah, yeah, the penguin he gooed, but she's like, but there's people just shooting people and like flat out threatened to kill stuff like that in this one. And I'm like, that is an interesting perspective from somebody who's never seen this. Whereas I have seen it uh, 25 times the past 10 years. I don't know. Like I've seen the movie a lot, but in rewatching it, I still appreciate it. It's very nostalgic to me of knowing young Ryan was just in, in heaven watching that movie, but I recognize its faults. And as far as live action Batman's go, it's down a ways, but that doesn't, mean i don't appreciate it i think last year i watched it four times just because i was like i'm in the mood for batman forever and so i just watched it four times like yeah that was fun (laughs) Uh, my last viewing was probably a month ago and i don't know if it's due for due to maybe our our ages where it hits you like as you're growing up i felt like you know be me being almost 20 something at that point was like if if I loved it at 20, fast forward 20 plus years, I still love it as much as I did, you know, mm-hmm. back in back in 95. And I can look at it objectively and go, I can totally see Tommy Lee Jones is going, oh, yeah, well, I can be just as crazy as you are. Like there's brief moments in that in the movie, especially in the bank scene. I hope I'm not jumping the gun where he's talking to the security guard and you know, the, the random act of faith and he's flipping it. There's that moment where he's holding that line. I'm like, if he would have kept that note right there and not been all like, let Jim be Jim, you do Tommy Lee Jones. Like, like give me fugitive Tommy Lee Jones in that moment. And where you could see the duality would have, there's brief little moments where I'm like, Oh man, you were onto something, but I can look at those things and go, yeah, I get it. And trying to go put it up against, you know, the dark night. They're two to me it's like apples and bowling balls. They work on <laughs> they work on yes, they're both round-ish, but I like Forever because of this and I like The Dark Knight because of this, but I think just from like I said in the beginning just 
being the age that I was and if I felt like I could own it, like I couldn't own 89 because I was still relying on my parents to take me to the movie theater. But this was Mm -hmm. one, like every time I saw it, it was me. And again, I don't know if I had Robin goggles on, but just seeing there's Robin on the screen, that's not the only reason, but there's just aesthetics that I like it and the things that I'm like, "Mm, that's kind of cheesy, kind of corny. I think I can look past that and, and see the movie that's that's there or that maybe they were trying to do. Yeah. And it, whereas for me, it, why it was target, I was the target audience for it at, at nine was just like, Ooh, flashy. Yeah. Ooh, Batman's here. Ooh, more, Ooh, villains. Ooh, Batman action. And it's kind of like you perceive movies differently at nine than you do at 13, then at 19, then at 20, then at right. 30. Like it's, it's just different. So absolutely your first viewing of it, you were able to think, and view movies so much more differently than me at my, you know, at that time too. So respectable on both fronts. Okay. Neither of us are wrong. Nobody's wrong here on the Batman book club. Okay. So kind of, as you said with Tommy Lee Jones, the critique of Tommy Lee Jones. So that fits in line with the motivation of going for the book and going through the book is because Batman forever now for, for nerds like us, it's almost like it has an asterisk next to it because it's, well, there's Batman forever, but then there's Batman Forever, the Schumacher cut or the Red Diary cut or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, because there's always a hashtag another cut these days. But following Richard Donner's cut of Superman 2, Schumacher's is probably the next best known, if you will, of how they'd shot. And there was a whole different kind of a whole different version of this movie that they mm-hmm. originally were aiming for. And then tonal shifts behind the scenes, meetings of people got it to edit it to a different, just a different tone overall. And I think the novelization, there's a little bit in the comic adaptation, but the novelization I think is where it's best representative, maybe what they were originally going for. Yeah. The book has 27 chapters. And so we are going to break down every single chapter, 15 minutes a chapter. So strap in everybody. This is going to be a six hour podcast. (laughs) I don't know if my math adds up right, right there. We're going with uh, it. All right, let's do it. It's written by Peter David, based on a screenplay written by Lee Batchelor and Janet Scott Batchelor and Akiva Goldsman. It's split. The book's kind of split into three three parts: a then, a now, and a forever. And a then just kind of plays. There's three quick chapters in the in the then of kind of like a, a prologue. I'm going to kick off with that kind of setting up for the story, and then we can see we can discuss. So the the first part kind of takes us as. Bruce, as a kid, falls through the cave. This is his parents' funeral, his parents' death, and he this is he ends up falling in the cave. The second part flashes to an, a young Edward Nigma who happens to be the same the same age as Bruce. It's Edward Nigma as a kid at the same time that Bruce Wayne's parents uh, were killed, and you kind of see and feel for him because he's getting picked on, but he's a bit of a little bit of a snob, a genius snob, but a snob. And then we kind of discover this is where he feels a connection with Bruce because he feels, Oh, look at the, the newspaper of the Wayne murder scene. And Bruce is there and Edward sees him and thinks, Oh, he's, he's like me. And then we see, or we read that Edward gets bullied. And then the third part takes us way up to in the future where district attorney Harvey Dent meets Batman on a rooftop and basically kind of come to almost an agreement of like, we can help each other. And it's kind of a basis of the relationship between those two that us comic readers all know exists in the comics prior to the Two-Face part, with also some nods to a circus gang and the Penguin. So kind of relating it to Batman Returns. Mm -hmm. So those three bits kind of open up the book. And 
I don't see, well, I guess the Bruce fallen in the cave is scattered throughout the movie, but those, the other two parts, definitely. I don't, I've never seen anything about stuff that being shot or ever being considered being in the movie. And I don't know. I think I can see why they would not start the movie out this way, but maybe as I can collect my thoughts, what do you think of, of those three bits? I had the same thought, like that would have been really bold to do for Schumacher going, all right, I'm going to lay the groundwork out differently than my predecessor, for lack of a better word. Like I'm a different director, different sensibility, aside from all the bright and neon and all that stuff that it would become, that would have been interesting to have this open the movie and everything kind of parallel with one another in some way, at least the Bruce and Edward part it also kind of gives you a little more sinister is the wrong way to say it for edward like right off the bat you already don't like the kid like just the whole arrogant side of it like you feel bad at him for a second when his head hits the curb or whatever and you later find out that he was in a coma for for three months because his mind is just working overtime. And at one point I almost felt like, well, you kind of got your butt kicked because you wouldn't shut your mouth, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Reading it, you know, not that long ago, I was reading this going, wow, why does this scene with Harvey and Batman, it seems familiar. Is it, is it just because that I've read it? And I was like, Holy crap, this is a dark night. You know, this mm-hmm. scene on the roof, like that, it almost kind of plays and has that same, that same vibe. But yeah, I, it would have been cool to see the movie open like this, but I can also see at the same time of going for your, your first scene in, in a Batman movie, we're going to revisit the Wayne's death kind of again, but in a different fashion. So I could see why they didn't, but I thought this, it would have been kind of cool. I feel like there's something there with the first appearance we get of Edward Nygma on the film is kind of like funny. And I, I've mentioned on like BOF podcasts before, and then maybe even this show and with, and with other friends and stuff too, that my Mira is kind of my general audience barometer. She's just watching this movie. Doesn't know anything about it. Let's see how she reacts And her first. She did not like two face. At all. She's like, he's just kind of pointless. He's loud. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't, can't understand what he's saying. I don't care for him. Four seconds of Jim Carrey's Edward Nigma on screen. She laughed and said, I like him. He's fun to watch. And it's like, there's something there with that. And so if you had, you had you done this young kid, there's a totally different reaction right there. There's a total setting oh, yeah. the tone of what's going with the movie of this kid. Who's like, no, you don't deserve getting the beating that you end up getting. You also helped egg them on, though. Eh, yeah. You're, eh. <laughs> and it's harder to get the reward of the Jim Carrey Riddler to look at this mm-hmm. kid on the curb to find out like coma and all that stuff. And now he's w- with Jim Carrey just being Jim Carrey. If you've seen Ace Ventura and The Mask b- before this, and you go, oh, I want to see me some Jim Carrey. And you're introduced to his character through this kid first. I. I can I can see why you know the the, mm-hmm. the the comic book snob is going oh but that would give backstory to the character blah 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 you know I, I get it <laughs> I get it then with this whole this Harvey Dent Bruce rooftop thing I'm kind of like I can picture it in my head a little bit of like oh now that could be a cool even if they yes. kept the opening as they did of like you start the movie even well my, I, my thoughts are scattered all over go ahead well with the the movie taking place at, as it is. That Bruce is having flashbacks of, you know, the diary and his parents. He could have very easily have had a, rather than see the 
in this in the movie you get this little tiny tv monitor of batman in the courtroom and you mm-hmm. know harvey getting the acid spilled this would have been a cool flashback for bruce to have like maybe at the circus or something like that and him think of the harvey dent that he knew on that rooftop back then yeah see what i did there mm. then um <laughs> i think you could have slotted this scene in the movie and i think it would have it would have fit seamlessly. It wouldn't seem out of place, but you would have seen a probably much more composed Harvey Dent. And it may not, you may have looked at Two-Face a little differently. You would have seen a more calm and collected Harvey Dent. And then when you get to the crazy Two-Face, you can go, oh, okay, I can get it. But with Two-Face just being crazy and zany the whole entire time, (laughs) he's only one note and he should be two notes. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm cha. Yeah, and I think we can probably make it a drinking game for this episode of Tone because just the kickoff of this book has totally different tone than what Mm -hmm. the movie's tone ended up being. I think the book tries to be serious, tries to play a lot of emotional beats, and I think the the movie is trying to be the popcorn summer fluff, you know? So a lot of these things cut are kind of like, well if you want to go really serious of Bruce falling in the cave and Edward being so messed up and trying to build on the Harvey Dent Batman relationship before that's just got a domino effect of like, well, then you got to have this in and this in and this in and things that we're going to end up that we're going to end up getting to like when the book starts off and we dives into the now portion, it's a standout. Cause I can quickly picture it of, we have Dr. Chase Meridian walking down the street and she gets of Gotham. She's new to the city and she gets her purse snatched. And as she runs to try and get it back, oh, here's some young, strappy young lad who takes down the purse snatcher and gets the purse and gives it back to Chase. And then this young kid's dad comes up next to him and calls him Richard. Hmm. Hmm. Well, this all makes sense. And then Dr. Meridian meets uh, Richard Grayson and his dad, and they talk about in the circus, and she wants to pay them something. And they're like, oh, no, just the good deed is enough. But there's our introduction to dick grayson right off the bat or go ahead do you have anything no no about about reading that again i understand the reason the way the movie opened but reading this again and i've also listened to the uh book on tape adaption this i too think this could have been a little scene that it's just not okay the graysons are there just so they can die this does give them a little bit of heart you could see the relationship that dick has with his dad and i yeah. i liked that so it makes their death even more tragic but yeah that, that, that's all i had on that I, I think it's something that they could have done that could have taken a minute of screen time or less and this like you just said the cold opening it, of the movie yep exactly and it like you said it could have added just a little bit more a little bit more of a punch for the circus scene when the Graysons fall to their to their death i think it could have worked and moving on, I think a well-known part of the movie that was cut is Harvey Dent's breakout of, of Arkham and how we see the bat must die uh, drawn in blood on the wall of his cell and he'd escape. I had no idea that there's something really violent right before that, actually. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I don't know if that part was ever was ever filmed, but originally it's Harvey's in his cell, cell number 22. But um, there's a guard who I don't know how you could even display this in film, but in the movie, they give the guard a little bit of layer of he's kind of he's in deep with money. And so he's going to try and help help Two-Face escape and he's going to get he's going to get money back. And instead, Two-Face has a conversation with them. 
wants to double down, flips the coin, the guard loses, and then Harvey slices his neck. Blood everywhere then leads to this scene that is actually a deleted scene in the Batman Forever extras of we see somebody sitting in the seat as Dr. Burton thinks it's Harvey Dent. Nope, it's not Harvey Dent. It's that dead guard on the wall is bloody. We must, the bat must die and Harvey's escaped. Now this, given the final product of the movie, I kind of understand why it would have been cut. Because the the writing on the wall, it's blood. Like, I don't know what else you would possibly even use. Say, no, that wasn't blood. That was a, he's been saving up jelly from his (laughs) PB&Js. Totally different tone. Yeah, totally different tone. And again, I, this is also another part of the drinking game. If Pete, if you're listening, uh, every time Rob, <laughs> if Rob says, I, I, I wanted that in the movie, uh, seeing the deleted scene, I was like, oh man, okay, forget about the things that they didn't shoot would be the opening of this book. A scene that they did shoot, mm-hmm. this, this could have and should have and was supposed to be the opening of the movie. Yes, again, this is the executives like, that's eh, a little too dark. We probably shouldn't do that. Let's, I'll get drive through. We should probably have that be first. But um, McDonald's. So, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I wanted this to open the movie. And I, I think it could have. I think in 95, taking our 2,000-something hats off, I think you could have just seen the guard or even just that written on the wall, have the Dr. Burton go in, see the cell, and you know, Two-Face is gone. I, I think that could have worked on some level. Yeah, avoid the blood on the wall. I think then they could have kept the they could have kept the scene. And and I know it's all about and I don't usually like going down this whole well coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's yeah. like, well, the end result, I had fun watching it. I still like it. Who cares? But that's then we wouldn't have an episode right now. Right. I don't know what you and I would be doing right now. So we we gotta we gotta be those kind of people, Rob. I I like it, whatever, in the end. Now what threw me off when I read the comic adaptation was actually the the recutting, if you will, of order of events because we go from the bloody breakout at Arkham to Bruce Wayne is flying to Wayne Enterprises. In the scene or in the movie, it goes from the big opening with Two Face to the next scene we're going to Wayne Enterprises as we hear a newscaster talking about a little backstory, little you know, Two Face last night, but Batman stopped him, and then Bruce Wayne's at Wayne Enterprises. Mm-hmm. The whole that whole action sequence hasn't hasn't happened yet so yet again in reading this on a little bit of a degree i can see well now we're looking at we're 10 minutes 15 minutes into a movie and haven't had a batman scene batman suiting up okay i i do kind of get that you know but (laughs) but (laughs) drink if we fast forward a few years to batman begins how long do we have to wait till we see Batman? I believe it is. It is. I thought, see, I thought I heard somebody say it was over an hour. I thought I saw and it was 50 something minutes. I mean, in the end, who cares? It's a while. Yeah, it's a while. I thought it was like 45, 46 minutes before we see Batman. So again, that's, that's, I'm not trying to get down that rabbit hole, but you know, another director was like, no, let's tell a story. Let's get people Mm -hmm. invested in it. But in 1995, when things are supposed to be blowing up and we need fast cars and pretty women and bats and Robins flying over the place, we need to get them on the page right now. ASAP. So I get it. Yep, exactly. And the sequences are different in the book than the movie again, starts the whole, the whole tone. But as far as Bruce, Bruce at Wayne Enterprises. I mean, it's mostly what we saw in the movie. There's, 
I mean, there's some little snippets here and there, some dialogue. Uh, his secretary or assistant, Meg, she gets, a, she gets a little bit more time in the book than she did in the movie. I'm sure that actress is probably a little pissed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he, he does the whole meeting, Edward Nigma and plans and stuff, but then he sees the bat signal and he needs, he needs to go. And that leads to basically the whole call my assistant, Margaret set something up. Edward, uh, we know we've seen the movie and then the action sequence that started the movie. That's where this book ends up going next. So it's switched a little bit, but I mean, not a big, yeah, it's not huge. I think yeah. it. I think it puts a little bit more. Like if you take the the front part out of it and just start with Two Face escaping, it gets gets that suspension a little bit of like, oh, Two Face is broken out. Like, oh, Bruce Wayne's going to you know Wayne Enterprises. Oh, he's got to go be Batman. So that that moves that a, a. I should say a lot quicker. It lets that breathe a little bit more. So when you finally get Batman, you're like, oh, he's here. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's working a little bit on us feeling for Bruce Wayne and slowly introducing the other characters and caring about them before we start doing the theatrical stuff. And and I'm okay with, I think I'm I'm okay with that. But understand too that tone, drink, and their audience, and this needs to be fun. This isn't gloomy like Batman Returns. I think it's something to note about at the end of the bank the bank sequence, the Two Face fight we didn't see in the movie is when Bruce falls out of the helicopter after it crashes into Lady Gotham, he goes into the water. Well, in the book, Bruce has flashes of his parents' death. Yeah. And so this is kind of already in the book, the second mentioning of his parents' death. And it's something that pops up a lot in the book. It's really, it's really playing on his mind lately of his parents' death and him feeling guilty, which in the movie, I think ends up being kind of a little bit of a mess because it kind of comes, I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but it's, it does a few times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, yeah, we know his parents were murdered. Okay. Yeah. Like we got another flash of this. What about it? Like what angle are you going for? And I think that's a little, they cut some of it from the movie and it, to me, it's almost like, well, cut none or cut all. Yeah. I think that's where the original, the Schumacher cut was going for. So when they started trying to brighten things up and they left aspects of it, it seems disjointed because those scenes aren't flowing as well. And it's narratively Mm -hmm. changing the flow a little bit. So like you said, if you're going to cut some of it or yeah, you said cut all or cut none. So if you were going to leave two minutes of the, you know, diary scene in, then you needed all 10 minutes of the diary scene. Mm-hmm. Mm, but that's not what they're going for. And so moving on the, I mean, the whole Nigma testing his machine and murdering Stickley Bruce wakes up. He has a conversation with Alfred. I mean, it's kind of like I w- mostly I w- what we see at the movie. I wanted to stop you right there in sure. now. I, I would just be in nitpicky. I don't want to do this for every single thing that comes up, but there's a few times where is this Peter David taking Liberty? Like, okay, this is what was initially in the script. So I'm writing that around it. Or did he go? Well, like in the movie, it's shown when stickly falls out, you know, brother still kicks him out as he normally does. But in the film, it's just, he's running down and jumps, walks through the plate glass, but he has it in the book that he's pushing his chair to end up breaking the glass and, 
Um, gone is the omission of in the movie where Bruce says, Oh, you know, we're going to pay for, pay for the funeral or the, his, his benefits, you know, that's not in there. So there's a couple little things where I don't know if it's like artistic license and it's not a big thing. Like, I don't know why Rob stopped the podcast to point out that like, Oh, he jumped through the, <laughs> the fight glass window, <laughs> but there's little moments like that, that it's a little different, but kind of the same. And, uh, I just, felt like stopping the podcast right there <laughs> no it's all good the like the a difference for sure is and it's even commented on with with gordon when bruce ends up at wayne enterprises to talk about his death in the movie his chair falls into this i don't know what you want to call it, a big dam or something oh, there in yeah. the city with the water and he says oh with the current we'll never find him or anything like that whereas in the book it just says like I think gordon has one quick dismissal line of like oh yeah but there's practically nothing left of him when he hit the ground implying oh, yeah. like he just fell flat and i'm kind of like well if he's tied to a chair there'd be i just feel like there'd be something it, that is so nitpicky i know but it was just because it's different than the movie no mentioning of water i'm like huh yeah okay i mean all right but yeah, as always as gordon says in the movie yep definitely you should have like oh okay <laughs> oh my job just got easy let's Let's go home. But we get a couple of shots of Bruce. Basically, he's in the cave thinking. I think that's something that I always wanted in the movie, too, was like, give me more Batman in a cave. I like Batman slash Bruce in the cave. A give Batman me- uncowled in the costume. And it even makes mention that he's got his like hands steeped or he's like TP'd or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. he's thinking, gazing into the screen. I'm like, I want to see Batman just sitting back with his cowl and cape over the back of the chair, but still in the suit thinking. You know, yeah, like I'm a nerd, but that's give me, give me some of that. And so those are some other things because it's, it's especially when, so in the movie we see Nigma deliver the second riddle. I know I didn't bring up the first riddle, but it's basically in the book played out how it is in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the second one in the movie, we see Nigma deliver it where in the book, it's kind of like as Bruce is thinking in the cave and stuff, it ends up being delivered to the house. We don't see a enigma perspective. And so we kind of get the reactions of Bruce receiving it. Not wildly important. They were probably discovering how good Jim Carrey was in filming that they're like, we need to get this guy some more screen time. Yeah. And that's how that changed a small change. It's not really a big, a big deal. Nothing's too different as the movie pro- or as the book progresses between that and the movie. When we get to the circus scene, there is a quick little exchange between Dick and his brother. And I forgive me. I don't remember his brother's name. R.I.P. All right, there you go. Wow, you're ready. I'm so proud <laughs> of you. <laughs> Somebody clearly studied for the exam. But it's just a small exchange, but it adds to the, what you just said about at the very beginning of you know the whole personager scene. It's like it's just a a little moment. Just a little moment to add a little bit to when the the heartbreak in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how cool would that I'm gonna go back just a little bit. You know, sure. we have we have Batman 89 starting where you're like oh are are we seeing the waynes you know murder in the beginning of the movie and it turns out to not be but that's your first appearance of batman this would have kind of called back to that a little bit seeing chase getting her purse snatched and then you end up getting your first appearance of quote-unquote robin in mm-hmm. the movie being the cold open so anyway you just you said something that spurred that so so circus 
seeing minor differences. We get a spotlight on Bruce Wayne as being the biggest donor for the whole charity event that the circus is. But in the end, it's it's Two-Face. He's the reason that the Graysons minus Richard ends up falling to their death. It, it follows with Dick showing up to Wayne Manor. Bruce leaves due to the bat signal, which I think in the movie, this is when, is this the first time that we see like a parent's death flashback kind of out of nowhere? Yeah. Cause this is where he, he says something like in the movie, like I killed him. And he says, and where Alfred goes, I killed them. What did- he says, Oh, he killed those boys' parents. He says, no, you said I killed them. And he sees the bat signal and has to go run off and, uh, Batman or Bruce says something like keep an eye on the kid or something like that. Yeah. And so the book, I think it says that too, it follows the, I killed them part. So we get that little seed planted and they build on that. Whereas in the movie, I just, I just don't think that they did. I don't know where, where it was going. We get the good Alfred exchange with Dick of trying to get settled in. And I love the line broken wings, mend in time. Yeah. Like, I just think that's, it's good. And what, as I read it, it's in the book. As I read it, I heard Alfred Goff's, voice saying it such a comfortable alfred as i don't think i commented two standouts to me is one two-face reading two-faces dialogue and stuff in this book up to this point i was almost hearing him more in the animated series voice yes i'm glad than, you said that. To- than tommy lee jones and i'm like man if you could have rob was being nice and saying just crank it down a little i'm like go from a 10 to a four and mm-hmm. it could have been so delivered. It just could have been so different. And I'm like, ugh. And then secondly, reading the dialogue with Dick Grayson, I don't know the age, but it was hard pinpointing that dialogue with Chris O'Donnell. Like yeah. he seemed like, I, I know it never bothered me a whole lot in Batman Forever. And it didn't bother me that he was going to stay it with Bruce Wayne and you know, it wasn't like, it's not like Bruce is adopting him per se. It's like, here's a place to stay. Yeah. That, that age thing never really bothered me, but in the book, it seems like, Oh, Chris O'Donnell's seems too old for this dialogue. Yeah. To me, it was like, it was always suspension of disbelief, but I felt like this Dick Grayson is more 15, 16, like right around that. He's not a kid. He's not a, the 10 year old tramp trapeze artist from the animated series but he's close enough to being quote unquote an adult but not enough where you go yeah it's not it's not chris o'donnell that's playing this role Mm -hmm. two-face meets riddler in the hideout it's i mean similar but it seems even it's almost the reverse of two-face of like the dialogue seems a little toned down but as i'm reading it i'm hearing jim carrey crank it up to a 10 but that didn't bother me no we get the basically the montage of the villains Two-Face and Riddler and their crime spree all over Gotham and a deleted scene from the movie. I didn't know that they actually filmed this of Riddler's purposely sending Batman to the wrong place. Yeah. And Batman ends up showing up. He tracks down the he's like, oh, this is where the crime is. And he shows up and it ends up at a beauty salon beauty salon yes exactly and granted the deleted scene was not finished but i mean it kind of seems batman just pulls up in an alley and then takes off running up some steps and it's kind of very anticlimactic and like just a goofy guy in a suit running up some steps and then has a surprised look on his face as the 
in the he opens a salon and everybody's in their 90s gear but the the idea behind it of riddler being a step ahead of batman kind of that works i think it's fun to it was fun to read fun to see the deleted scene i could have taken it or leaving it if it was up to me you know yeah ditto i it it's cute's the wrong word i don't want to use the word cute it was an interesting take putting Batman in a totally out of his element scenario. And I like how Peter David writes it, that the Batman's ticked. He mm-hmm. he's mad that he almost jumped the gun and didn't really think this thing out. And after he's been had, he realizes, darn it. I, I should have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. I am not the best Batman I can be right now. I need to go regroup, but we also get in, in that chapter, where Dick is training kind of himself with you'd say like a, a big punching bag and he's got two faces picture taped to his table. I don't know, whatever on it. And that's what he's punching and hitting. And there's an exchange between him and Bruce. And then Bruce basically takes one kick and chops it in half and then kind of walks away. It's also a deleted scene. So they filmed it and I'm kind of like, this is not the most exciting, but I wish this would have stayed in the movie. Yeah, it it lets you see a little bit more of Bruce is letting his guard down with Dick. Like, I, I'm I'm trying to save you from yourself and you're not as big as tough as you think you are. And you don't I, I'm not the person you think I am either, because mm-hmm. he's just really dismissive of Bruce, you know, the whole entire time like he is in the movie. But this gives that one moment where Dick's kind of like, oh, well snap that happened you know it's kind of like everybody knows the relationship of batman and robin and yet batman forever cuts out a lot of that building it's almost like we want to hurry up and get to batman and robin it's like lay a little bit of groundwork make it count and uh, clearly i think schumacher wanted to because it was filmed so something kind of tells me maybe he didn't have all say in the matter i don't know as ryan haas likes to hear me hear hear me say I'll ask him when I have lunch with him next week. (laughs) Me and old Joel just talking about movies. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. Good old Uncle Joel. We get a Bruce and Alfred in the Batcave. Another riddle. Chase calls to have Bruce come over. When Bruce ends up at Chase's place, that's where we get kind of the first mention of the Red Diary. Only us nerds know about and really care about. But that's what in this book, this novelization, Batman Forever at this point was almost like Batman Red Diary because the Red Diary ends up becoming the source of Bruce's guilt because we'll just skip to of it's Bruce as the memories start to keep flashing in his head and he sees this Red Diary that was present at the funeral of his parents and the last line written into it was something about his dad writing bruce really wants to see this movie or something along those lines basically saying well bruce wants us to go to the theater so okay we're going to take him to the theater and then because we go there we end up getting shot and killed therefore bruce links himself to i'm the reason i'm the reason to this the sequence of events of that's what causes him. He grabs the diary. He takes off running. He falls into the cave and sets off the whole, I need to be Batman to help because of this guilt. Like it, I just think it all links back to the red diary, which is ultimately cut from the movie. And therefore, like I said, cut none of it or cut all of it. They scrap a lot, throw in a little bit. And it's just kind of like, what does that mean? It doesn't fully connect or make a point like it does in the book. Yeah. Am I rambling? 
No, no. Okay. And, no, no, no. And I don't know if we're uh, jumping jumping ahead a little. Let's bit. jump all over. But it's also that thing of like once he is able to get the book, he can realize the from what he read, the two pages were stuck together, mm-hmm. and it's the movie he wants to, Bruce wants to see is a cartoon, but his parents want to go see Zorro and they're really, that's what they want to go do. And Bruce can just go see his movie later. So his getting that feeling, his parents were already going to go to the theater, no matter what, that's what they wanted to do. They were taking him along as opposed to Bruce dragging them out. And he is the one that got them killed. So the, he he's able to kind of reconcile that, but you're right with the, with the whole diary thing, it's in the movie, it's kind of left there like, Oh, he's having these repressed memories and Oh, he read something about it. Like it's more played about, I think the line is like, my father wrote in this book every day of his life. And then I realized he would never write in it again. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're leaving out the best part of it. Like you said, a drinking game, cut it all or cut none. Mm -hmm. He was writing in it. Okay. What was he writing? Well, he's just writing in it. He he was just writing in it. (laughs) We're, we're, we're reading a book and he wrote it, you know, that's it. Uh, something fun that I left out after the two villains do the spree is Bruce. He's down in the cave talking with Alfred. So yeah, another cave scene. And he flicks on the news, which is kind of talking about Two-Face and this, this uh, other person. And then they play a recording that the Riddler himself sent in. Where in the news, yeah. they just, they cut to the newsman that just says Gothamite's calling him the Riddler. And actually in the book, the Riddler is calling himself the Riddler. Mm-hmm. And then that plays into uh, people are turning on Batman in a sense. And it's kind of Batman's fault. And then Bruce gives kind of this little speech about people just build up heroes so that they can tear down heroes, which I think ultimately that itself plays into this internal struggle he's having right now too, of feeling guilty because he's the reason his parents died feels in a sense of like, well, what am I supposed to do? I guess I'm supposed to be this Batman character. Oh, this Batman character is trying to do good, but yet people are picking him apart and blaming him for all, all of that. Like that, those are the emotional hits that's constantly going like circling in his brain. And I think that is about 40 to 50% there in the movie. Yeah. Lightly, lightly, lightly. Yeah. It's tone, man. It's all about the tone moving on and it, a lot of stuff kind of stays the same minus little dialogues and such, but of course um, Alfred has to interrupt a date between Bruce and chase and say, he took the car. No, the other car. (laughs) And and that little, "Mm," it's like, Oh boy, Alfred is mad. Watch out. Pick up what I'm throwing down, please. (laughs) This played out a little differently of Dick Grayson taking the Batmobile for a spin. Just a little. Yes, a girl is getting in trouble. What else the, did he take with him, though? He took a cape He took a Batmobile? Cow. Yes, he did. And I laughed, imagining in my mind, of where... Okay, so the movie, a gang attacking a woman. No, in no way is it good or anything. It's just... It's less uncomfortable than it, how it's described in the book. Like, in the book, it seems a little bit more like... Eh, it almost seems like David Fincher would direct what was in the book. And thankfully, Joel Schumacher directed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to fast through this part. Yeah. And the book leaves out the mentioning of En Vogue being, oh, that's Bat Boy. Um, 
Want to ride in my love yeah. machine, baby? <laughs> I, I never, I always thought, I in oh my gosh, the, I always thought he said, yeah, ride in my love machimbale. Woo! And I'm like, I don't know what a love machimbale is. I don't know what that is. So It's right next to the Cortita Crunch at Taco Bell. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, they, they went with McDonald's, so they missed oh. out. In the book, he pulls up to the the girl that's getting harassed by the gang and basically opens up. And as I pictured, he's going all Dracula with a cape and has it kind of over, over himself. And I laughed trying to picture this. And then I don't remember if it says like he kind of stepped on it or what, but then the cape kind of fell. And then he says something along the lines of like, you know, it didn't put it on right or something like that. And I'm like, I forgot the rest of my outfit. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how that, I don't know how that would have worked. I mean, he was not impressive, not impressive really in the movie, although his fighting kind of was, and he did, he stands his ground in the movie for Mm -hmm. for a while against a good number of people and then batman comes and it's kind of the same thing same thing in the movie except batman uses gas to clear clear everybody out and saves him and then they end up in the batmobile this would have been cooler than standing in the street and dick punching him yeah is that happens in the batmobile so a little bit more of like some drama there of as batman's trying to drive dick's sitting there just punching him and letting him have it and then they crash into a fire hydrant so i don't know maybe they didn't record it because of budget because a fire hydrant's expensive, but that's kind of where it halts and they kind of calm down at that. And I'm just kind of like, Oh, visually that'd have been cooler of driving the Batmobile and this conflict is happening. I, I, I liked, I, again, something drink where I wanted, (laughs) I, I like this more than I like what we got in the book. And the other thing that I wanted to point out that a lot of callbacks to Batman, giving a command like in 89 where he's like shields that's that's done mm-hmm. in here where he says smoke and the batmobile launches out a, a smoke grenade so that's kind of cool that they were kind of keeping the continuity of the dialect batman would say commands and things like that i don't even just nerding out a little bit like oh he mentioned shields once like he did in you know batman returns so and then i was like how would the shields work on the forever vehicle? That'd be one big shield over that big, huge fin. But okay. Anyway, I digress. No, that would have been because I failed to mention at the top of the show that also Christmas of 1995 was Ryan's favorite Batman Christmas of all time. Cause he got, he got Dick Grayson action figure. He got the Robin action figure. He got two face Riddler, Batman, the Batmobile. Like it was Batman forever Christmas. And it was awesome. I wish I kept that stuff. Shame on me. Uh, the movie in the book kind of basically move along a little bit. They have the, you know, the big Nigma Tech Island being built, Claw Island. I don't know if it was ever mentioned in the movie. Not in the Claw movie. Island. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Nope. So in the book, they called it Claw Island. Cool. I guess. I don't know. That whole sequence is it moves along. We get the Nigma Tech Gala, kind of plays out pretty similar from. Between the book and movie play out like the same, except when Bruce goes into the machine, we kind of visualize a little bit what he sees. Whereas in the movie, we just kind of we hear the voice and then we see the big bat or I don't know if we see the big bat at that point. But in the movie or in the book, he's in like a jungle. I think so, yeah. And the the voice that we hear in the movie, it's that woman. But as an actual, you know, she's present in his vision and then I think it kind of cuts out after that. And that's when Two-Face invades. So small, but also kind of weird too, of like everybody just quickly goes into a jungle because that's their fantasy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been an, an odd thing to see. So 
I think in the movie, I would prefer the what we got as opposed to like, all right, uh, you cut the Red Diary stuff and now we're in the jungle? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. What is going on? So plays out where, you know, Batman chases, he falls, he gets buried in the, or it wasn't improv. It was actually in the script to face nothing like a bad case of gas <laughs> explosions, subway burial, and Dick ends up saving him. But what at the end of this chapter, Gordon and the police capture some of two faces goons and they are questioning one of them. And Gordon isn't alone. He is with another police officer named Harvey Bullock. Bullock, yeah. (laughs) He could have had his live action debut, and they never filmed it. I remember, I'm glad we got to this point. I remember seeing this movie. I don't know if it was the third time or fourth time that I saw it, but I bought the book after one of those times. And I decided, oh, I'm going to read the book all the way through. And then I'm going to go see the movie and see what's different. When I got to the Harvey Bullock scene, I was like, are you kidding me? We were supposed to get Harvey Bullock in this movie. Mm -hmm. Something that we've been enamoring for for years. Matt Reeves, if you're listening, Harvey Bullock better, (laughs) better be in this flipping movie. How cool would that have been? (laughs) And in the book, they even describe him a heavy set detective named Harvey Bullock or Bullock. I'm like, yeah, of course he's heavy set. That's Harvey Bullock. Damn it. Come on. Not a big deal, but also the the scene though could pl- it plays into Nigma's mind control and more control over people because basically one of the goons says that he's going to make a deal and say where Riddler and Two-Face are, but then basically just starts to he starts to scream and his head convulse and his head snaps back and forth and everything and then he he's dead and it takes us to basically the Riddler's hideout and Riddler's controlling it because his mind control machine, everything somehow it's explained in the book, but he's able to mind control people now. I'm like, huh, hmm, that's a yeah. twist. We though it follows that that is key. Not so much in the movie is Batman's a creeper goes to penthouse apartments to spy on women that are sleeping naked in their bed in the book. <laughs> he arrives and she gets up and she makes out with Batman then turns on her light at the desk and shows pictures of Bruce Wayne everywhere. Whereas in the previously it was pictures of Batman everywhere. And she kind of says she's in love with someone else. Yada, yada. Batman just leaves. Doesn't say anything about him turning around, having that damn smile on smile. his face. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't talk at all in the scene. Whereas in the movie, he just makes, I laughed when I rewatched the movie last night because I kind of saw they cut to him a lot. And he's just kind of like, he's, he's just awkward. Kind of look on his face. Yeah. He's kind of really no. dumb. Like, <laughs> I guess I'll go. <laughs> I understand. I'm just kind of like, oh man, this scene. And then like, so the book, it plays better. He doesn't say anything. He jumps off the roof and Chase doesn't see him anymore. Then she goes full exposition mode and records her thoughts into herself. But she reveals that she knows who Batman is and that it's Bruce Wayne. She has her light on. She does full confession. Also in a sense, she's kind of how she's realizing she was playing Bruce. I think it, it, the idea itself works, but Maybe because we're so in tone with everything, we would have felt like this is really exposition heavy. Like you're really telling us instead of just showing us, but it kind of works in the book. And then it, it takes us out to Bruce is actually on a gargoyle. Oh my gosh. I want Batman on a gargoyle. (laughs) (laughs) And he's watching your apartment and he sees the light go out. And so then he jumps off and goes down into, into the Batmobile and then basically tells Alfred he kind of knew she was going to do this there back and forth. And then he does like a little smile and that's a little bit more forgiving because I don't know. It just seems less corny. 
Yeah, that and, way. and it's also at that point where he knows she knows, you know, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. let, you know, Bruce off the hook by I'm glad he came as Batman. And Bruce is like, all right, she, she knows what's going on. She's not, you're not playing her as dumb that she doesn't figure it out in the movie. Like in the manner, it's not till later where she's like, oh my gosh, I'm a psychiatrist and I couldn't figure this out. Of course she figured it out. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And it totally, it just reminded me, I didn't even mention, let's rewind a bit. And in the movie, when I think it's the, I killed him, he sees the signal, Bruce leaves and he goes because it's Chase on the rooftop with the signal. Mm, and she does yeah. her hitting on hitting on Batman. And then that he jumps down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's in the book. And then he jumps down in the Batmobile, takes off. And I think that's the end of Batman patrolling that night. In the yeah. book, he goes and meets Chase. She does her Catwoman line. And I could have swore Catwoman. Oh, Catwoman was mentioned in this book. And actually, Poison Ivy, I think, was mentioned in the exchange with Harvey Dent at the very beginning. Very so beginning, I was yeah. Like, Huh. So here, as he's talking with Chase on the rooftop, Gordon interrupts and Peter David, the author, decides, oh, I really need to describe that Gordon's in his pajamas, but tucked his pajamas into his jeans. Okay. (laughs) But Batman jumps off the roof, ends up in the Batmobile. And then that sequence out of nowhere in the movie of the Two-Face gang and Batman, that comes out of nowhere in the movie. But here in the book, that follows Bruce jumping off the roof into the Batmobile. Then it's the two face sequence. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so much better "Hmm." this way. Yeah. Yeah. Because though I don't mind. And yeah, it's like, it's an action sequence in the movie. It is just kind of out of nowhere. It's also kind of strange in that Batman's trying to escape two face for no reason. Yeah. And when it's just like Batman tries to take the down, the bad guys, the bad guys are trying to get away. And so that part doesn't really, doesn't really change in the book but as far as like no that follows the chase rooftop talk as opposed to just happening in the movie so me mentioning him jumping into the batmobile i know i'm scattered all over the place i'm a mess i thought i had my thoughts in order i do not it's batmobile or it's batman see (laughs) (laughs) See? (laughs) oh my goodness bridler and two-face are on claw island they know who batman is now they're exchange in the book is also tone drink a little more serious because two faces impression is that, Oh, we killed Batman. He was buried, buried in that subway station, etc. And so then he's like, Riddler, why do we need you? It pops a gun on, on him and it's played back and forth serious. And then Riddler ends up showing him the newspaper that says Batman survived and his way of staying. What do you want to say on good terms with two faces to basically show Hey, I've got Bruce Wayne who went into went into the machine and they find out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that that exchange was again, drink. I I like this change a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The way it plays out in the book too. I just think it it gives those two characters a little something more to do and it's not Two-Face just being the buddy to Jim Carrey's Riddler all the time. You know, mm-hmm. Two-Face is think it's done. I've, I finally killed the bat. You know, we can r- rule Gotham. And it's also where the Riddler's like, oh, they, he's also multiplying. He's not alive. There are two of them wearing mm. a mask and a cape. So, you know, it that feeds right into Two-Face's duality is, of two very well is like crap. I was trying to get rid of one Batman by killing him. I actually created a second, you know? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I never considered that. That works. Yeah, that works well better than in the movie. 
I think uh, uh, what follows is Bruce, because we built up to this point. Well, I don't think perfect perfectly, but the scene of him telling Dick that he's shutting down, he's not going to be Batman, etc. And Bruce's or Dick doesn't. He said, come on, I need a partner. You know, you know, that whole exchange. And the book continues where after Bruce goes upstairs, Dick goes into the the suit room, if you will, mm-hmm. and his and grabs his suit. And so I don't know if in the book, the final result of what we see in the movie, if that's where they imply here that it's been it's built and it's it's ready at this moment. Yeah, because I think but in we- the in the movie, you see him grab the flying Grayson suit, tuck it in a duffel bag. So you go. All right, in the movie when the Batcave is destroyed and all that's left is a sonar suit and Dick comes down the steps as Robin, he's got the full Robin costume. I mm-hmm. think like you were implying to in this that the full Robin suit already exists at this point, that Alfred has already made it and Dick goes in and grabs the, the actual suit. Yeah, I think it just plays out just a little bit longer here in the book and just because, I, I don't know, eh, I would like to see that. Yeah. Not not a huge change because we get we get the point in the movie as it continue the movie book continues. Basically, Chase and Bruce are talking, and we get the the next flashback. I'd say in the movie, this place is like the biggest flashback in what you and I have kind of already addressed of the last line in it and feeling guilty and all that. The book skips the whole trick or treaters Halloween and yeah. jumps straight to Rither and Two Face come into Wayne Manor. The movie part I think is really fun and I wouldn't want any of that part cut out because it's kind of silly. And to me, it's, it's kind of fun. Even in watching it last time, like, Oh, this is still fun. And in the book, it's like, well, what, what would they do once they find out who Batman is? They go get him. Let's not waste any time. They just hop right to it. So two different versions, both work given their, their medium. Something that always bugs me. And in the movie, they say too, basically every time that, it's almost like Bruce or Chase. In my head, it played out in that comedy of like they just run one way in front of him and then run back the other way, almost like a Scooby Doo scene, right? Uh, whoop, in one door, then up, going out that door, and every Lord. time they he sees them, Two Face is flipping his coin. That makes a little more sense in the book than in the movie, but the movie kind of tosses out all the rules. No pun intended, but I'm chat tosses out all the rules of Two Face, where he's just flipping until he can get the scarred side. In yeah. this, they played out a little more of like, oh, this is a whole new situation. Oh, this is a whole new situation. So he's flipping at every new situation. And yeah. then the situation comes where the scarred side lands up. So then he shoots Bruce and he wants to shoot him and kill him. And I don't know if the book says, but all I picture in my head is, no, if you kill him, he kill won't him. learn nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, that's, I think it's in here. <laughs> <laughs> you did the laugh. <laughs> I podcast over batman forever <laughs> 25 years i've been watching that and, and loving it and so it's silly but also that's that goes back to nine-year-old ryan and like no leave that in what are you doing yeah. you gotta leave that it's too yeah. much fun for me but uh, the movie i think from here on it kind of just plays out like the movie does except alfred they cut alfred's actually when he the closet he's locked into he calls he goes 911 yeah yeah through his smartwatch. Yeah, Alfred was 20 years ahead of the time. Calls 911. He's able to keep Bruce from getting taken to the hospital. Instead, has a doctor come check on Bruce. You have another and- Gordon scene in there as well. So, like, the movie only really has Gordon show up at the circus 
uh, at the drop off of the house. And at the end of the bat signal, he's like, eh, go home, yeah. you know, yeah. but this has some more interaction, which I would have liked Pat Hingle to do a little bit more. But anyway, I'm sorry. Drink. Is this, <laughs> and is this where he's got the signal out on the roof and then the question mark? Like, yeah. is this all happening in the same night? Yeah. Same. Well, I, the book almost gives the appearance like th- there's maybe another night there. Well, I don't know if he's remembering all this down in the cave with well, I'm probably playing too many cards here with the amnesia, but I think it's probably still the same night because also on the roof with Gordon, when the question mark comes is detective Bullock Bullock. Yep. So of course after reading that, I'm like, Oh, I need to, cause I finished the book today. I'm like, I need to go back to the movie and see and just freeze it on the scene when he's up on the roof and there's, cause there is somebody else with Gordon on the roof. And I'm like, I guess that's Bullock. I, I guess that's Bullock. I should yeah. check the, check the credits of the movie and see if they give a, a bullet credit. But I think somebody would have pointed that out by now, if that was actually right. the case. Basically Bruce and Alfred figure out the riddles. They go down to, to the cave and this is the culmination of, cause Bruce's head has like a slight concussion. And so he's kind of not remembering things and they shot the this part of Bruce finding, finding the diary down yeah. in the cave as he calls it in the book, the cave underneath the cave and which the scenes of the, the part that Bruce falls in, in the movie, that's the cave underneath the cave where he sees the big bat and he kind of, he finds the diary and realizes, as you said, the pages sticking together. And actually the last part written wasn't blaming Bruce, but it was like, but that's going to have to wait till next week showing, Oh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And then he comes face to face with the the monstrous bat. The first appearance of that bat in the movie. Did you ever take it as being real that there is this human-sized bat flying around in a cave? I did. I took it as being real because I think it was in like the very, very early trailers for this movie where you see the two side by side, but this is played more like it's it's his psyche, his broken part his suppressed memory that chase i think says like four or five times throughout the novelization as well but yeah i always took it that this was a real thing because i think the book even mentioned something like and then a supernatural thing that could only happen in the cave the two become one or or something Mm. like that but Mm -hmm. i think it's more peter david's talking more metaphorically but yeah seeing the promotional stuff i thought oh man bats down in that cave yeah it's i don't know i think as a kid the first time i saw it i thought oh my gosh man bats in this movie and (laughs) then realized that that doesn't make any sense still i think it's um i don't know it's very psychological and it's his overcoming accepting that no i'm batman not only am i batman i choose to be batman this big conflict he's had this whole movie of throwing away the guilt he's choosing to do this for the right reasons so it's just like a his triumphant moment with the the cape and cowl and identity of Batman. And then it cuts to Robin returning, seeing the Batcave in the shape that it's in. But then he hears Bruce and Alfred down below and then basically goes into the what we see in the movie of he comes. Why not both? And comes down the steps and uh, what's that stand for? Richard. Which <laughs> yep, that's a funny line. Like the, the they have to have Batman say it's R for Richard. I'm like, come on, dude. Seriously, you might as Batman well just call. Or- you might as well call yourself Drake while you're at it. Oh wait, that yeah. Happened. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Batman and Richard just flows right off the tongue, doesn't it? Batman and Richard. Batman and Seal. Batman and Cher. Batman might- and Bono. 
Batman and Blake. Oh, John. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see. The rest, yeah, as, as I've said, basically Robin serves a purpose in the movie as destroying a bat sub and then needing to get saved by Batman. But in, I know I'm skipping, but it kind of what we see in the movie, that's kind of, I feel like it's film taken right from the book. Yeah. The, the Batwing, Batboat, they both go, get destroyed. Batman saves him from as they call him the like frogmen is what the book calls them like yeah <laughs> the riddler scuba dudes now the one part that i the line that's thrown in here is the little nod to batman 66 when they're pulling themselves up on claw island where he gives the holy rusted metal batman this is the ground mm-hmm. it's all full of holes so in the movie batman just goes oh but these oh. in, internal monologue is this is a sub refueling station and the holes where the grates were the sub would come in where I'm like, that gives a little bit more credence to Robin's line. And he could have very easily said, Oh, these holes are for X, Y, and Z, but it's like, we don't want to have too much exposition. We've got to get him on top of this tower. And, but I was like, it kind of makes the holy rusted metal Batman line fit a little bit more rather than go, Oh, I see what you did there. Batman 66, wink, wink, nod, drink. (laughs) So Mira even said that last night when he said, all full of holes, you know, holy. And he goes, Oh, and then, she just started laughing. She's like, okay. Oh, so oh. I don't know how they could have worked that in, but if something of like, instead of just saying, Oh, of like Holy rest of metal Batman, he continues. The grounds are full of holes. And then he just says, this used to be a, I don't know, but yeah, it stands out to me that it's kind of like, I get the nod, but also kind of a little eye roll. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, 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 the Island elevates Robin fights two face, but then, gets taken by Two-Face, just like in the movie. Plays out pretty fast in the book of he's kind of confronted with Arnold Schwartz Enigma. That was the joke Peter David wrote in the book. Unless Akiva Goldsman put it in the original script. And I'm like, man, I am glad that you guys left that out. Yes. Arnold Schwartz Enigma. And the movie just jumps straight to the riddle me this, riddle me that, which I think was almost like the calling card of the movie. Yes. I I thought that was awesome. I like how riddler says it in the movie i think yeah that's that's good stuff except this riddler is extremely buff the book yeah. version riddler is buff because it plays him off it, it the, the book goes out of its way to tell you how scrawny he is through the majority of his appearances in the book his scrawny mm-hmm. frame next to two-face and you know like all these things so when you get schwartz enigma if i'm saying that <laughs> right i that guess about, yeah so yeah but yeah, it's somehow through mind control also gives you a ripped body. Okay, sure. But basically what plays out in the movie plays out like that's from the or the book plays out in the movie. It's the same. Basically, Batman needs to choose one or the other. He needs to try and save them both. But what's different is that in the book, it seems like Robin kind of saves himself. Yeah. Which I kind of disagreed in the movie because they make Robin so reliant on Batman. And there's one thing if that's in order for him to grow and somewhere to go, his arc is like, I keep needing Batman here to save me. I need to do this on my own. Okay. That's one thing. But in this case, it's like, well, Robin's only getting in the way here in the book. They actually have him kind of save himself. And Batman thinks Robin fell. And it's like, no, Robin actually kind of, you know, he held himself up, saved himself, something or other. Oh, to rewind something cut from the, the movie. There's no deleted scene, but there's images that I've seen is that Riddler stabs chase in the neck. With a, and, a uh, syringe. Yeah. Yeah. Just hearing that and reading that's kind of like, oh, shit. 
<laughs> yeah, like tone, they, they had tone, a, tone, tone, tone. <laughs> drink, drink twice, three times on that. Yeah, one. and oh, they yeah. have a whole they have a whole discussion too. Like there was a not only were there still images shot, like there was a whole scene built around. You know, like I think Schumacher one point he said it's more exposition that you're already getting if you listen to the commentary track that mm-hmm. he is saying to Batman anyway. We're just hearing it first being said to Chase. So he's like. So we decided to cut that scene. I was like, but I wish that was more left in there because it's a creepy scene yeah. where you go, okay, the Riddler has turned a page right here. Yeah. That originally, that takes place like in the movie. We see that keeps me safe when I'm jogging at night. night. That scene, <laughs> it ends. The movie, it, that scene ends when the question mark goes over the signal. In the book, it ends when he stabs her in the neck with the syringe. So there's some kind of evidence of it because I've seen you know, the image. It's the same image, but still the image of... Maybe it's in one of like the magazines or movie book or something. Yeah, uh, I I know I have it somewhere. It's just, it's out of my reach. A difference also is Two Face in the movie standing there does his little gun thing. He's like no curtains one or two, just, just playing, playing curtains. curtains. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing of like man, what who's in charge of that? Like Tommy, I know that should have that been you're, cut. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm going to tell you I can't sanction your buffoonery. Like, knock that off. That's a bad. That's a bad laugh. That's you know that thing you did with your voice. Just stop, please. (laughs) Yeah, just you know how you use twelve. You were twelve words. Use negative five words next time and go. (laughs) Yeah, in the movie, Bruce ends up taking getting Harvey to flip his coin and then throws a bunch of coins up. And Two Face is trying to get his and falls to his death. In the book, Bruce talks. Or sorry, Batman talks Two Face into flipping a coin. Two Face flips the coin. It comes up, I think, heads up, into so. which it's almost like him saying, "Hmm." And it almost, Im- I'm kind of torn because I think Two Face is barely holding on instead of falling. Then by seeing that, that's almost like a defeat to him, and he just kind of lets go and falls. That's kind of how I read it, and I don't know if that's exactly how it's played out. I prefer that more because no, I don't think Batman killed Two Face. He didn't kill him. He caused a dilemma. That that was something I wanted to talk about. Like the whole like, okay, Batman doesn't kill and all that stuff. So Robin, this whole entire time has been like, I, I'm going to go after Two-Face and I'm going to kill him. And Bruce is talking him out of it. So in the movie, by him throwing the coins, I expected Robin to go, well, shit, I could have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, if that was your, if if that's if that was an okay way to get rid of Two Face, I could have had a sack full of coins. So in the movie, it's like, oh, I understand why you didn't want me to kill him. Why? Why again? Because yeah, because accidents happen. So yeah, the, yeah, and this I could see Two Face going just like. Uh, this is my moment to finally kill Batman and the fate is not on his side. So he just basically gives up like, all right, it's almost a little more poetic that just plays out better for me. I think overall we get a little sugar and spice that doesn't really matter at all in, in the book. So the fact they didn't add that in the movie, that's fine with me. And then fi- the book ends with the scene similar to the movie and chase goes to Arkham Asylum. Cause I think, Brother keeps saying he knows who Batman is, and then he says, I'm Batman. But what's funny is that in the movie, but it's they when they cut to Arkham Asylum, the lightning hitting the Arkham Asylum sign up against the wall, and then the whole big picture, it's storming. That's actually the shots used in the deleted scene of Harvey Dent's escape. 
Yes. Because I always thought, well, that's weird. There's this massive storm. We go inside Arkham. We come out. It's calm. It's a cool night. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's like, what happened to the storm? (laughs) Well, storms come and go really quickly in Gotham. Well, yeah. Okay. So a storm's coming. (laughs) Oh. As Chase comes out after she knows her secret's safe and her and Bruce get in the car, bat signal goes up. And so then cut to it's just Chase in the car. Ask Alfred. I forget what the question is. If you give me just a second. And I just closed it. I had it. How dare you? And I was like, oh, he'll say it. Uh, Does it it ever end, Alfred? Alfred chuckled softly. Not in this lifetime. And that was filmed. Yeah. And then cut to why in the hell did they not do this? Batman and Robin on a gargoyle overlooking the city was shot, was not put in the movie. In the book, it's kind of implied that they're like, you know, they're on the skyline and they're almost like, you know, bat roping or something in the city, something like that, as opposed to, gosh, I don't hate the shot in the movie, but knowing that they had other options and they even pretty much filmed one of those options instead of them running away from the signal. I'm like, ah. There's a, there's some stills of it, and this was Schumacher's callback to tie it aesthetically into Batman 89, you know, where Batman is standing on top of the basically church or another building gargoyle type thing, and the bat mm-hmm. signals lit from behind. This would have been, I think, if I read it right, Batman's on the gargoyle first, the bat signal comes up, and then Robin joins him on the bat signal, and then it fades to black. That would have been friggin' amazing, and then Harvey Bullock would have been just behind Robin. <laughs> <laughs> He would have. Hey, hey, Kamish. <laughs> hey, Kamish, I got donuts for the boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's not a big deal. It isn't. But for me, I'm kind of like, man. Carson. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, boy. I wanted to try nope. to put that in there. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You beat me to it. But just like that, we're like knocking on an hour and a half on Batman Forever, the novelization. I hope it wasn't too much like uh, chapter by chapter boring boring but it's like there's more differences than what we highlighted if you get down to it dialogue and some i think a couple additional bruce in his office at wayne enterprises scenes quick little ones it's kind of like it's not a not a big deal but it doesn't radically change the movie and stuff but i think no it it gives more layers and i think by for me i maybe to give like closing thoughts on my end Mm -hmm. for, for the reason I like this movie so much, I think it goes in tandem with this book of like, Oh, there's cool things that they would have left out. And you could see maybe the closest to the red diary that we could ever get. Unless, you know, this justice league Zack Snyder thing works really well. Like what else do we have footage for and stuff? This may be the closest thing you're going to get of like, what would the red diary edition of the Schumacher cut look like this Exactly. This book. And I've I have the if you can hear it since we did the flip, I actually have the cassette. <laughs> cassette Warner Audio Warner Audiobook that I have since ripped to uh MP3. So I used to listen to this in my car and put my cassette tape driving around 1995, just listening to this, you know, forget about listening to Bon Jovi Kiss or Def Leppard or Pearl Jam or whatever. I was listening to Batman Forever on on tape, I mean, nothing, but- nothing's changed because people now are not listening to music and they're listening to you and I talk about a movie. So, right, hey, exactly. Right. But I think I'll wrap all this together. I, I still really just love this film and it is very, very high on my favorite Batman films. Like it's it's in my top three. The other two being Batman vs. Superman and the Dark Knight? Yes. 
because you mentioned them earlier. So I, I figured, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. so smart. Yeah. I'm the Riddler. Look at me. I'm getting buff. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm the wrong character. My bad. <laughs> I I think as you worded it, it's this novelization is the closest that we're ever going to get to the Schumacher cut slash the Red Diary cut, whatever. I think the book and what it's trying to do for the story of Batman Forever, it's not a totally different movie. No. It does flesh everything out to give better explanation better understanding, better arcs, more of a point than what the movie's final result is slash was. You know, you what, know I mean? what a good example of this would be, regardless of how you feel about the movie, this is Batman versus Superman, the theatrical cut versus the extended cut. Watching the extended cut, you go, oh, that does make this a little bit more sense. And oh, why did you cut this? But the Red Diary stuff is the equivalent mm-hmm. to Clark Kent's work in bvs like you chopped a whole bunch of that out of the red diary and clark kent if you left that in that would have given more context i'm not trying to make a point for one or the other but it the movie still plays out the same the book still plays the same there's just more things added to it that i think maybe soften some of those things that you're like why is batman's driving in the middle and getting chased like you were saying earlier Mm -hmm. yeah so if you don't like batman forever the book is not going to change your your mind if you're in the middle area the book's going to help you be a little bit more in support of, Oh, okay. Well, this makes a little bit more sense. And just anybody reading it, it's like, okay, the, this makes a little bit more sense. And I see what they're originally going for. And then for whatever reason, whoever's instructions, they made changes. So two different tones, two different mediums. That being said, I still, I liked reading this book. I thought it was good. I'll go through and listen to my recently acquired MP3 file of the Batman Forever audio tape. Listen to that as well. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And yeah, I think I enjoyed reading the book. It does not change my mind on the movie in any way whatsoever. The movie is flawed. I recognize that now, but I still, it's nostalgic for me. It's still very entertaining. Last night, it was still very entertaining. It was fun watching it with somebody who's seeing it for the first time. I'll always like Batman Forever now in three different versions of comic, novel, and movie. I like all three versions for, you know, a variety of reasons. So I didn't want to do this episode to try and tell everybody of like, you need to read this before the episode because it's it's hard to track down. I think you're taking a chance buying it online because it's going to be a used copy and who knows what kind of state that used copy will be in my used copy is in pretty good shape but it has obvious wear and tear it's been read a few times before i got my hands on it so i was kind of just hoping anybody's listening is just like hey this is what the movie could have been and kind of was proposed to be uh so i hope that our discussion is going to end up winning awards rob so uh, I, I think so too. I think it'll okay, win think the, uh, the, the tinfoil award. Yes. Sweet. That's what I want. And if we win that, then this, the Batman book club has peaked and it'll be shutting down like Bruce halfway through Batman forever. Yep. Let's wrap this baby up. Rob Myers. If somebody wants to follow you, where would they go? Where you would they follow- see your thoughts and opinions and hear your, your voice? 
Well, you can find my thoughts and opinions. And right now I'm doing something I think is pretty cool. You can follow me at Twitter at DrummerRob10. And I got to go take a picture of the next one yet. I am going through all of my Batman animated series action figures. And I mean, a lot. I have a lot of them. I don't know how many days this is going to go. And I'm taking a picture every single day of my Batman animated series figure collection. That'll be vehicles, cars, weird offshoots, green Batman, blue Batman, sonar suit Batman, you know, scuba diving Robin and pogo stick joker and like all that stuff from the animated series but drummer rob 10 uh you can find my podcast at eltd podcast on twitter robin everyone loves a drake and then elyj podcast that's everyone loves young justice the two podcasts that i have yeah and it's been yeah recently started your pictures of your figures and it is fun especially when you come across ones that OMG, I had that one. And I'm talking about the animated series Scarecrow. And mm. your second picture was the backside view of him. And I go, oh my gosh, I can I can almost <laughs> feel the roller. It. Yes, yeah. I can feel it as I'm just looking at it. I'm like, man, I just sat there. Maybe that was the beginning of my fidgeting. It would just sit there with the <laughs> scarecrow and just flip that thing around and his arm would just spin, spin, spin. And I'd always be like, how fast, how fast? And then yeah. you then you picture the man bat one, which had, it was like a pull down for his wings to flap. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that one, I distinctly remembered too of like, if I didn't have scarecrow, then I had man bat and man. So yeah, that's a lot of fun to what you've done so far. So I haven't posted Robin yet. The reason because I lost the glider and I bought it off of eBay. So I'm waiting for the glider to arrive so I can finally complete Robin. So it, the glider's not going to be here till Monday, depending on when you listen. When you listen to this, I'll have the glider and the picture will be up. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Perfect plug. Backtrack on Rob's Twitter because he posted a cool picture about hinting at what he was doing, which is this recording. Some cool Batman Forever merchandise on your Twitter also. So that's cool. So thank you, Rob Myers, for coming on to the Batman Book Club a second time. This will not be your last as long as you accept my invitation. I will keep accepting. Okay. Thank goodness, because I know there's a book that there's we need to book. cover, and it's got your name on it. Yes. We know what that is. Listen to episode four. And four. <laughs> it, yeah. Go back and listen to episode four, and you'll know what that book is. The Batman Book Club. Follow it on Twitter at the Batman BC, and I will definitely keep you up to date on upcoming episodes and what's coming down the line so you can maybe do a little bit of research and such and like i said there will be a giveaway coming up you can also email the batman book club for questions comments concerns you want to tell me about how horrible or impressive our two-face and riddler laughs were uh you can go to (laughs) thebatmanbc at gmail.com and finally you can follow me on twitter at lauer underscore ryan lauer spelled like lower so for rob myers I am Ryan Lauer, and we will talk to you next time.